This is Live Well Talk on Heart Health and Heart Screenings. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at St. Luke's Cedar Rapids United Point Health. Heart disease is a leading cause of death in the United States, yet many people have no symptoms. To prevent a cardiac event from affecting your life, it's essential to learn what puts you at risk of developing heart disease and how to keep it from occurring. Heart screenings allow individuals with or without family heart disease to be proactive about their heart health and potential risk for heart disease. Today, we are delving into what exactly the tests screen for, who should have them, when they should have them, and what value do they offer. Joining me to talk more about this is cardiologist Dr. Richard Kettlecamp from Unity Point Health Cedar Rapids Heart and Vascular Institute and St. Luke's Cardiology. Thanks for taking your time on your busy schedule to talk about this today, Dr. Kettlecamp. Glad to be here. You know, we live in a capitalist society. And you know, we have a free market. And so with heart disease being so important and large in our society, and you know, I remember at one time, you and I are about the same age, 50% of heart disease presented with sudden death. Right. You know, That's and I, true. And right. I know I, maybe you can comment on what that percentage is now, but I know it's significantly less. Yeah, sudden cardiac death. Occur, it still occurs. And in fact, heart attacks, roughly 25% of them present as death. Right. So that is still a big proponent. It's the leading cause of death heart disease is here in, in the United States and anywhere else where we live in a modern society. And so it is an important thing to get your arms around and assess your personal risk. Well, and as I started to say about the, the capitalistic, and, and so you have these heart screenings, these health screening fairs, sometimes by sponsored by perhaps a, a service organization, Knights of Columbus, Lions. Other times it's uh, something in uh, the uh, Tidbits newspaper flyer, uh, $99, all these screens. And I guess as a physician, I, when I see that, I always worry that patients are going to have something done and it's not going to be followed up on or it's you know we as you well know we have accreditation and quality assurance with our diagnostic studies and our laboratory studies and our physicians performance and I worry that this uh, someone in a a white panel van is going to screen and it's not going to be followed up on what's been your experience have you seen that have you seen a patient come in or or seen where where the uh, the system broke down for that patient because of this uh, rogue screening, if you will. Mm-hmm. No, that happens all the time, and I think that's the real advantage to the the way things are done here with uh, the heart check. That is the big issue. Patients will occasionally come in with their sheet with some numbers on the page, and sometimes they're interested enough to ask about, you know, what do these things mean? Uh, but oftentimes, it's by chance that I find that they had this done. Uh, and so, you're right, it, it can reveal true problems in, in disease, and if it's not followed up upon or discussed, you know, real time, that's an issue. You know, on the medical staff at St. Luke's, we have a policy. Its nickname is you order it, you own it. Meaning if you order a test, a laboratory diagnostic on a, on a patient, you have the responsibility, if not the duty, to follow up on that and make sure the patient, first of all, knew why they were getting it and the results of. So so that's, that's why I worry about it. I, I had a patient once describe where they had this done in the kind of the back room of a grocery store, you know, and the, the, uh, the, the exam table was made from uh, milk crates and they were screening <laughs> these ultrasounds. And I just found that just archaic. Uh, yeah, archaic, just mm-hmm. uh, if not third world almost. But uh, <laughs> so here, I, I think it's really uh, positive that St. Luke's and your, your colleagues have embraced this rather than ignore it, because I think some physicians do kind of dispel the screening. It's there. It's not going away. And, you know, I'd like to talk more about the structured response St. Luke's has had to that with the what, uh, what is referred to as the heart check and the heart scan. What, what exactly do these tests measure? What, what, are, what is the patient going to expect? So a lot of ways, 
there are some tests that are similar to the tests that you get at the you know Hy-Vee parking lot in a van, uh, but there are things that go beyond that. So so the basics include a carotid artery scan or a duplex study, a abdominal AAA duplex, and a, a peripheral arterial disease test, which would be called an ankle brachial index. And those look for you know basic issues with vascular disease. And these are fairly easily screenable problems that can be sort of surrogate markers of other bad things. Plus, they can be the silent uh, but deadly things like an abdominal AAA. You wouldn't know you would ha- you had one unless you screen for it potentially. It and so those are included in that exam. And then beyond that, there is a limited echo, an ultrasound of the heart, looking at the heart structure function. Um, an EKG is done as well, uh, which so it adds a little bit more regarding you know, heart health, uh, conduction system, arrhythmia issues, that kind of thing. I think the the way that it steps things up a notch, so to speak, is there is a person who speaks to you afterwards. Here's your results. You have a nurse that goes through the results line by line. What does it mean? What should we do next? And then in addition, you, I, I didn't bring this up, there there are some lab tests that can be yes, done correct. as well, so if, if it, you're interested. It, it's a, a thyroid and a cholesterol check, correct? Right. Yeah. That's right. And then all those results are reviewed by a board-certified cardiologist, correct? correct. Right. Real time. That's, I think, one of the other advantages you have the results in hand as you leave the heart check center up on in the heart center um, after you've had a discussion and sort of counseling with with a nurse what who should have these tests um, you know the the uh, the whole uh, statistics behind a screening test and it's positive predictive value negative predictive value you know you you want to direct them towards the appropriate population because um, right. as physicians the last thing that we want to have happen is a false positive and expose that patient to greater testing, uh, whether it's invasive or non-invasive. So, so who, if, who would you direct to have these tests? So people with risk factors, so patients, you know, clearly people who have risk factors for cardiovascular disease like diabetes, high cholesterol, a big one, and one that seems to incentivize people mostly is a family history. So mom, dad had heart disease at a very young age. A brother or sister had a heart attack, and they're only two years older than you. Those are big triggers for, for testing. So it's really, it's based in risk factors. It, it, is there a certain age that this should start? I mean, you know, I, I could have a family history of, let's say, colon cancer of a first-degree relative late in life, but I wouldn't have my screening colonoscopy at 14 years of age. You know, there's, right. So at what age should someone say, you know, I, I need to start looking at this? Sure. Usually they say, if, what age did your first-degree relative have a problem? Okay. So your dad died of a heart attack at 50. Yeah, maybe you ought to get screened at that age. At that age. Right. Assuming you're doing the right stuff. Now, if you were diagnosed with sugar diabetes at 45, um, you know, you uh, have other risk factors. You're on blood pressure medicine. You're on cholesterol meds. Um, you may want to be screened earlier. Now let's let's talk a, a little bit about uh, one that I know is within your realm of expertise, uh, and is the peripheral vascular disease, lack of blood flow in the lower extremities. Uh, I think when people think about heart and vascular health, they think about strokes. They think about their heart. Often they don't think about their lower extremities. Uh, they and as you and I know, cholesterol is not selective in where it deposits. So if it deposits and obstructs flow in the lower uh, extremities, it's possibly elsewhere. So I, you know, as I, I think that's a that's a harbinger of underlying problems if you have bad blood flow to your lower extremities. Talk a little bit about peripheral vascular disease and what symptoms patients have, because I'm going to throw out a percentage here and you correct me, but I, I think only about 15 to 30% of peripheral vascular disease is diagnosed. So the other That's, 7% are, pardon the pun, are walking around with 
peripheral vascular disease. Right. You want to comment on that? Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's a very prevalent disease process. Um, interestingly, many times we'll see patients who have for years complained of leg pain and never really had this investigated as a possible cause. So, you know, you think about, boy, I have leg pain and have had it for a long time and it's easy to write it off. I'm getting older, my, my joints hurt, um, I have muscle aches and pains, that sort of thing. And they just sort of say, well, I just have to live with it. When in fact, it could be a process or a disease that could be treated. And so it's important to get uh, to get checked for that, particularly in the setting of leg pain, typically pain that occurs with activity, with exertion, cramping in the calves and the thighs and the buttocks and the hips. The other issue with peripheral arterial disease, even if it's asymptomatic, which oftentimes people have, it's not an uncommon scenario to have peripheral arterial disease, maybe even obstructive peripheral arterial disease, and have minimal symptoms. That's that's the other, um, you know, the sort of the corollary to that. But peripheral arterial disease is a fairly important marker for other things, as you pointed out. Correct. Cholesterol doesn't just hit the leg arteries; it goes everywhere. And so, if you have leg artery blockage, you have a 50% coincidence for coronary artery disease. It's the strongest risk factor for for, for obstructive coronary disease uh, that there is. And so, if you have peripheral arterial disease, it's a it's a surrogate marker for coronary disease. You know what? I'd like you to comment on um, and just reinforce the significant impact or contribution that smoking contributes. And it's just not, I think sometimes patients have a misbelief that it's the smoke from the cigarette when in fact it's the nicotine, whether it's nicotine gums, uh, smokeless tobacco, uh, these uh, uh, these vaping devices that I'm not familiar with, but I hear about. Th- th- that, do you want to just comment on that factor, how, how nicotine plays into this and how um, how significant a threat it really is? Sure. So I, you know, I don't know all the pathophysiology of nicotine on atherosclerotic disease, but I do know that it Nicotine uh, causes actually vascular issues with um, accelerating atherosclerosis, but it also causes vasoconstriction. And so that's one of the big factors for nicotine and peripheral arterial disease, coronary disease as well. But there's a very strong connection between smoking and leg artery blockage. We see that in the wound clinic uh, Mm -hmm. with vascular disease, that how nicotine, you can look at a wound and tell whether or not the person smokes. Wow. You know, you really can. You can yeah. look at it and say that has microvascular compromise, uh, and uh, and you're, you're always right yeah. on when you do look at that. You know, as we start to wrap this up, Dr. Kettlecamp, one thing I think patients are hearing, uh, and even some physicians are confused on this, uh, the old uh, aspirin a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> where, where are we at with aspirin right now? Uh, that's his, uh, you know, to... Uh, I, to be or not to be was a title of an article published recently in Journal of American Medical Association. Where where are we at with aspirin? Sure. So for years, as often happens, we believe that one thing be true based on data and, you know, the best available evidence at the time. So the aspirin came about because of the Framingham study, which was a study of tens of thousands of uh, physicians, in fact, and, well, and other other pa- patients and other people looking at multiple drugs and, and risk factors for coronary disease. And it was probably the most extensive to date study looking at the natural progression of atherosclerotic disease. And aspirin was felt to be 
cheap, easy, and very effective in preventing strokes and heart attacks. And and I think to, to some degree for appropriate populations, that is probably true, but not necessarily for all comers. Because more recently, data has come out to say that aspirin actually protect, potentially has an increased risk of bleeding complications, particularly in patients over the age of 70 who don't have documented or confirmed atherosclerotic disease. So there's no real rationale if you're a healthy 70-year-old uh, or older that aspirin is probably effective for primary prevention. Primary prevention. Secondary prevention is a different story. Okay. You have a history of atherosclerotic disease, aspirin is good. Low-dose, baby. So a, a baby daily is the is just as beneficial without the risk of bleeding as the full strength. Correct. Uh, in fact, aspirin. exactly. That's good. Good information to know. And uh, uh, stay tuned. I'll probably change in our recommendations. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, if you practice medicine long enough, the pendulum swings back to where you started, and you, you become in vogue again. You know, so you just have to. The key is just to practice long. Practice enough. as long as yeah, possible. as sure. long as possible. Well, this is great information, Doctor Kettlecamp, and I want to. I'm very grateful for you taking time on your busy schedule. Uh, again, this was. Dr. Richard Kettlecamp, one of the over 500 uh, board-certified specialists that are on staff here at Unity Point Health at St. Luke's Cedar Rapids. Uh, he is a leader in cardiology as well as the Heart and Vascular Institute. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest for our Live Well Talk on podcast, shoot us an email at St. Luke's, S-T-L-U-K-E-S-C-R at unitypoint.org. And we encourage you to tell your family, friends, neighbors about our podcast. Until next time, be well. Be well.